in, in practicing Dhamma <coughs> it's based upon uh, the uh, understanding that all with we experience uh, the realm of our conscious experience mm. is, a, is a generated one <coughs> in which uh, our own bodies this nervous system in our own bodies play a crucial role in generating the world you know, it doesn't mean there's you no know, rocks and sun and stars and things like that but what we experience is um, comes from the contact with that you know? and so we create particular visual images get created and tactile images get created and so on and our ideas get created generated by this particular body-mind thing you know? so, you know, so when we, we begin to <coughs> contemplate this or delve into this the body and the mind are both generated experiences <coughs> generated by consciousness mm. so all the external world is the something there and yet what we see is our visual impression of it what we touch is our tactile impression of it what we remember is our conceptual an emotional fingerprint of that thing. I mean, you, know, you can imagine what it's like if you're a dog and you've got a whole olfactory world that you move around in that we are hardly aware of. You see the way dogs operate. They can kind of picking up who was here a year ago and what happened. You know, reading reading the world through the nose. Um, so their world is is a different dimension to ours. You know, they're walking around the same bit of earth. Um, or creatures that see infrared and ultraviolet light or creatures that don't see colours you know, the world of a snail or a microbe of some kind you know, who don't have sense organs what their, what their world is like <coughs> so you know, he recognises that something's going on but what it is it isn't exactly clear <laughs> And yet there's a lot of it happening all the time. It's very powerful, generative uh, conditionality. Mm. Um, and so in this retreat, we begin exploring the, the tactile experience, what we, what we experience through the sense of touch, mindfulness of body. Um, Bearing in mind that uh, you know, body and mind both are generated through the mind, the th- when I say mind, I mean the thinking and the um, emotional experiences and perceptual and psychological things that occur, they're all generated. And they're generated by this same embodied uh, uh, system, consciousness. And they're generated in a way to create a, uh, a particular. Uh, guidance for this physical system <coughs> when we come to the, the sense of touch and realise uh, how um, what immediacy there is in that 
and how that that is probably the most potent of the physical senses to trigger off emotional psychological reactions because basically the sense of touch is, is even more than the other sense it's really telling us something very urgent and immediate about our surroundings you, know, so you get a very immediate uh, emotive or physiological impression and touch you know, a lot of touch is just fairly okay but you get something there's an immediacy to it you're immediately involved with it like seeing things which you can think about and, you know, touching something is always there's an alertness to that uh, and a sense of being affected because in touch one is both touching and being touched unlike the other senses you hear but you're not heard when you touch you are being touched and that's that's a, um, you know, there's a vulnerability there and uh, payoff there, isn't there, in pleasure, terms of pleasure and pain. So there's a certain alertness and attentiveness and and, and uh, reactiveness to that, which makes it very good for meditation because you're looking, you're meditation, you're trying to contemplate what's present moment and what's arising, you know, the very conditioned arising of mind and body in the present moment you know, how they affect each other and their um, con- they conditioned arising um, and in a way their selflessness you know, they're, they're just that's what they are there's a system there isn't somebody else other than that um, you know <coughs> there isn't somebody in control of it there isn't somebody it belongs to. There isn't somebody stuck in it who has to get out of it. Though so these are all big messages that the um, you know, that the system produces for obvious reasons, you know, for the kind of defence and welfare reasons. They're signals, you know, and the signalling. Is is given you know, red and green lights uh, to emphasise the signals. The red and green lights are me, mine, myself. It's happening to me. This is not just happening; it's happening to me. <laughs> you know, it certainly you know, kind of underlines the message, doesn't it? And yet, when you try and find this, who the me is, you know, quite get it and yet so that me, mine, myself is is one of the things that's generated through this system as a kind of overseer as a a, something that gives you the the overall point of an experience you know the significance of it you know what's in it for me how's this affecting me it gives it a point and so this, this kind of mental um, construction is part of the thing that, that guides our lives. Yeah, it's a generated thing also. We contemplate uh, touch, just getting familiar with it. Uh, it may be something that we never really brought our awareness directly to. You know, 
but momentary it's only important when something distinctly um, interesting or frightening you know, is going on most of the time we plot up and down walk up and down the stairs and you know basically there's a, an awareness yeah but that but only when you tread in a tin tack do you really get into your feet so a lot of the time one is touching and yet um, it's not one isn't really uh, focused on that thinking about something or another but in meditation we're learning to accentuate uh, our touchability our sensitivity uh, so apart from giving us a very immediate sense immediate sense of presence being here heightened alertness heightened attentiveness um, awareness of, of the mutability of, of the emotional psychological stuff as it's vibrating along with that sensitivity aware when we run it down a sense of touch just how the sense of time drops away can't really know the future uh, how immediate it is and also how inc- incredibly um, powerful it is and, and, and uh, distinctive it is you can distinguish many many different textures from touch different things silk and linen you can touch different things wool and artificial fibre in many ways are quite similar but you can detect just very subtle differentiations on that (coughs) (coughs) I was experimenting today with having a a wet patch like a wet uh, putting some water on a piece of wood and having one finger wet itself wet one finger dry and then I put the wet finger on the wet patch feel that the body knew that both the finger and the object were wet I put the dry finger on the wet patch and the body could tell that the patch was wet but the finger was dry and then the wet finger on the dry patch it knew that the finger was wet and the object was dry that's that's really since you you know to be able to detect and there was no big effort in that something we probably do uh, you know many many times uh, without really recognizing it's pretty pretty refined isn't it you don't have to furrow your brow in order to do that you don't have to think about it in fact you stop thinking and so when we heighten this sensitivity in this area then the, the thinking mind has to quieten down in order to really pick up the message this is another advantage of, of developing this sense in our meditation the more you know, alert and immediate are we are with our uh, um, in our awareness through using a tactile basis um, the less the thought bound concepts are particularly relevant there's no particular time in it there's no particular thing to figure out in it you, you know, so the, the need to think is less um, the thinking mind has to quieten down in order to feel properly and we're able to in a non-conceptual way experience the dynamic flow of being the pulsing of it, the trembling of it, the energy of it even when you're not doing very much 
when you when you quieten down, you can feel the tremendous vitality and power of just of being alive. Mm. You feel your, your system tones up when you when you quieten down, and you develop you know sensitivity of, of touch. So just in sitting in meditation, you know, toning up the sensitivity to, to the to body. So you feel the energy rises up because it's like that sensitivity uh, amplifies itself and with it there's the arising of a particular of the energy, the vitality in the system. <coughs> so this is why actually the, when you meditate you don't really need such strong sensory input to get um, you know to get affected by the system doesn't actually want a lot of strong external impingement um, to get some sense of, of energy or interest or something to do you know because your own system when you quieten down has got this uh, you can read it, you can feel the vitality, the movement, the charges, the discharges, the, uh, the tremblingness of it all. And it's all uh, very much bringing to you to one point. And in that one-pointedness, the mind feels very alive. And a lot of the dross of, of doubt and worry and, and so on just slide off. So this is a interesting thing to to get into feeling it, feeling. So, of course, when we listen to dumb or read books, we have to take it into the brain, thinking it. And unfortunately, it, it can we can be left there, you know, thinking about meditating and how we should meditate and what particular factors we need to develop and this and that and the other and what system we need to do. And that adherence to thoughts and views and concepts can take us away from the direct, you know, what they're trying to point towards. And really getting getting hold of experience, feeling it out. Now, when mindfulness of body is about the whole embodiment experience, so there's obviously there's the physical form. <coughs> and then there's the tactile qualities yeah, yeah. and then there's even uh, subtler senses of just what it feels like to, to have a body to be in a body to be embodied mm. yeah, which is a much more subtler quality of touchability you see what I mean yeah. you know, there's both the ability to touch and to be touched so when a sense of being embodied, you know, it takes part of that manifest is the recognition or the awareness of being touchable, which can be, you know, pleasurable, it can be threatening, it can be painful, but we're alert to that. So something is, is aware, you know, um, there's, a, there's a hereness and there's a thereness. You know, and there's, one's got to be attuned to that. So even though even if there's anything particularly that one is touching, 
when you really get into the tactile consciousness, you can recognize that even when there's no particular physical object touching you, there's still this quality of touchability, which is like an open alertness. So we may find that if we come to contemplating how we know we have a body, we can feel certain pressures, weights, warmths, pulses, flows, tingling and so on. And then we're just going to the overall sense of what, you know, where one is sitting and what's around us. And as we look into that, or we contemplate that, feel it out, um, some of this touchability is, is, is more easily registered in, in the way, in a particularly emotive tone that it sets up. For example, does one feel safe? Does one feel welcome? Does one feel at ease? Does one feel balanced? Or does one feel there's some kind of subtle holding happening here where I'm, I don't feel completely relaxed? <coughs> or some sense of being on guard here where I don't feel completely safe or welcome? Or there's some kind of nervousness or another? Yeah. Or I feel slightly shut in, like I'm, yeah, um, nobody wants to listen to me. You know, I can't affect anything. So this, um, this is where the, the, the quality of that touchability, it's got certain physiological effects and emotive effects. And it's really, you're looking, you come to a place which is just where, where body and mind both arise, you know, one, some aspects of it seem to be more mental, some aspects seem to be more physical, physiological. But you might realize, you know, if you were, say, in a, la- in a room with 30 large, strange people, you might feel rather alarmed, you'd probably notice your, your body was slightly stiff, you might feel retracted around your throat. Um, you might find it difficult to speak because your throat felt dry and your palms might be sweating a little you feel a little bit tense and there's a physical physiological and physical effect there as well as an emotional one and then if you're lying on a beach somewhere you know and you you feel warm and relaxed and your body seems to spread out and open and drink in the atmosphere around you be nice wouldn't it <laughs> not linger with that one. <laughs> Warm pinch. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, last year experimenting having people walking towards, to walking towards each other and feeling out what it felt like, you know, and you could sense that somebody's getting closer, that the body sort of, you know, lights up to, you know, be aware of somehow meeting this person, and it could be a, a warm feeling, you know, oh, pleasant to be with that person, or a slightly nervous feeling, and just recognizing this, something rises up from this touchability, and it's got an emotional side to it and a, and a physiological, physical side to it. Mm. And then of course, it, as it rises up, it, all, it can also subside again. 
Now these these systems produce the me, mine, myself um, mood or ethos. Um, this actually um, makes that rising up. It, it kind of locks it, so it doesn't this is, doesn't subside again. It may, uh, as, as a sense, uh, as, a, as a sense thing, so mine. When you say something's mine, if it's vaguely mine, perhaps a little bit of rising up, you know, well, it's mine. Recognize it's something in you. Hmm. And then maybe, you know, it's really mine, and somebody's going to take it away. Quite a big rising up, you know. <laughs> you know, and then somebody. Uh, it's really, really mine, and somebody does take it away. A very large rising up, and, you know, into quite a enraged state. A very, it's a powerful statement of presence. You know, mine. I'm really everything rushes up. You know, and it, it can um, then it can subside perhaps a little bit, but very often we we are in in a world we, where we have this sense of mindness going about my room, my car. You know, my house, my friends, whatever, so it's, it's kind of, it's up there, uh, uh, you know, our sense is slightly out, going out, and um, by particular objects, particular objects pull it out, our touchability extends, and it sticks, it's stuck there. <coughs> And it's and it's out there that touchability. It's quite it gets very sensitive. You know, like an extended hand of touch, if you like, or an extended touchability gets quite sensitive about things that it calls mine, um, and attends to those in in a, in a highly um, sensitive way, a detailed way. And the disadvantage of this is that. Um, the, the ability to, to allow that, that tonal you know, wave to recede and drop down lessens. What we discover in meditation, or we may discover in meditation, is that um, there's an emptiness or an openness or a spaciousness that can be when we're not rising up to things, we're not reaching out for things or retracting from things. Uh, and that this tonality of our consciousness quiets. Consciousness becomes still or stops. It means it does not moving up. It's not crinkled back. It's not pushed back. It's just still. And in that experience, experience is one of like of something we, you know, if we look at it, one we might call it an inner space or inner quietness. Yeah, it, it may be something that, you know is quite large or small, um, it's not dead, it's not inert, mm. but it has no particular um, charge to it, surge to it, it's neutral, but it's not dull, it's quite bright and open. Um, and this is where that the the charge or the lifting up, rising up, where it subsides down back to, if we if we and we if we follow it. Um, so in in training in meditation, one is being asked to 
try to, to come back into that, into that just that openness, no big agenda, no pressure, uh, nothing to aim for particularly, nothing to hold on to, nothing to push away, just settling back and finding that as a reference and then is mindfulness contemplating you know, everything that arises is arising up from that and it's when it subsides it subsides back into that the feeling charge the the tonal quality when it quietens down quietens back into that and that that it empties into is is knowing in a way it has no thoughts in it but it's it's highly it knows in the way that a finger knows or the way the palm of the hand knows it's it's alert it's attuned it has that kind of intelligence that a body has knows this so it knows a simple kind of knowing like this is arising this is subsiding this is sticking this is spinning this is pushing forward this is pulling back it knows that the movements are in that tonal outreach where where they're mental or of a, of a physical, sensual nature. So the mindness tends to block that because it holds us, pulls us out to a place where things are not allowed to completely subside. Um, it's associated, so mind is associated with, um, with um, sensual thirst, tanha, some kind of um, and in attachment, holding on to objects. The other form expression is is the me or or I am, you know, which is a another production, another generated thing, and it's a sort of sum total of the physiological, emotional state of, you know, some total of our conscious experience, whether I'm on top of the world, or being doormatted, or somewhere in between the two. Mm. You know, how I am. And again, it has its, its purposes, is to give us some no- navigation signals. But again, it's somewhere we, where it can get locked. Because the more, the more that, that system gets used and, and followed, the more we get stuck with a, with, a, with a sort of permanent I am, or a semi-permanent I am, or at least the expectation that there be one. You know, when you come to the, the, the quiet place, you know, you, you don't get that same sense of I am. You can, it certainly is, and it's personal, if you like, it's, it's happening to in here, I'm, I'm, it's an intimate experience, and yet this, the, the sense of I am, which is um, a holding sense, <coughs> doesn't occur. You know, the sense of I am is associated with a view, with ditti. The view is, is uh, something that, that gives us a conceptual um, hold on something, or you know, so, so it extends in time. I am this, um, this is, uh, and so on. And then we can ink in what the I am's may be. Um, and uh, so it was I am a man, I am English, I am 
whatever I am, you know, I am a stamp collector or um, um, so on. And it's associated with particular behaviour and attitudes, and then we, we can base our lives on those kinds of um, things. When any of those gets highlighted, like somebody says, all oh, men are stupid, or all English people are pompous, bigoted hypocrites, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, and you start getting a bit uppity about it all. Because <coughs> um, it's view, I am this. Is associated with these particular things or experiences, or stamp collected as neurotic. <laughs> <coughs> so, when adopting a view, one is sort of stuck out. You claim some territory in a way. We're stuck out on that territory. We have to guard it, and we have to defend it, and we have to um, make it seem worthwhile, or useful, or good or purposeful or as good as good as anybody else's I am. You know, being English is just as good as being Albanian. Or if you're Albanian you probably need to try and prove it's just as good as being English. Or something like that. I mean actually, you know <laughs> these are really kind of notional things, isn't it, aren't they? Yeah, you can get in you get national prejudices where political reasons and so forth and say, you know, this is the best and because we, we have to defend our country against these aliens and so on who came from six miles away or two miles away or half a mile away so you, these views and um, of course you can produce extremely fined uh, degrees of view you know, religious views, spiritual views, even sort of inner religious views, like I'm a Theravadan, or I'm a Vipassana, or I'm a Samatha meditator, or I am a half-Samatha, semi-Vipassana meditator, or a Vipassana meditator on the verge of discovering Samatha, or I'm in the ninth stage, or the fifteenth stage, and all of that is something to be held, something to be defended, or something to be ashamed of about it all because an I am has got stuck to it. So there, we, there it is, you know, we're stuck out there. And being territory, uh, an abiding place, then, you know, it's got to be protected and um, compared with other I ams. And for this purpose, we can't compare it with other I ams, we could come up with the idea of myself, which if you like is a is a backward glance at what this I am is, our interpretation of it. This is called conceit. It's purely conceived myself. Um, this is something that exists in when we compare this I am with what we imagine other people's I ams are, or what we imagine they think our I am is. What, what my I am imagine your I am is thinking about my I am. And all this is generated, you know, immediately and internally. Boom. And a lot of it's happening when you get into social context. The whole thing is just cascading. Um, and we get stuck with that one too. You know, who's the best? Who's the leader? Who's top? Who's bottom? Who's beginner? 
who is not making it, whose self is not up to much, whose self is least selfish, who's got the least self here. So you know, you, even these, are, these it may not we may not use the language of it, but still the tonality is the same. A sense of paranoia, <laughs> or or um, or um, boasting, you know, quiet, you know, instead of boasting externally, the feeling of oh, I'm a bit up, I'm up more up than anybody else is. And these, of course, have profound effects on the way we relate and the way we discern experiences. If myself is not getting the kind of um, feedback that I want myself to have, to keep myself going, looking okay, then, it's, then it, you know, I need to do something <coughs> to make it that way. So a lot of agitation, restlessness, uh, going on around sustaining the substantiality and the authenticity of myself. So it takes all that pulls us out into this level of um, interactive conditioned arising stuff and again we lose contact with that quiet core of knowing now because it's not good so that in this Dhamma letting go based on letting go and one of the main themes is, is being able to penetrate and uh, relax these particular systems when they're just firing off in a crazy, reckless way and not doing us any good. But for basically, by being able to understand them just as triggers and signals and not as fundamental entities, they're not describing a fundamental entity in itself. So that takes away their compulsiveness and their paranoia and their competitiveness and their boastfulness their pride, their, their fear and so forth you see, they're, just, they're just triggering systems so we don't have to, 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 to you know not have them even uh, but to know them So, and this of course is something that you just can't do conceptually you can't say well there's no mine no me, no myself because even if you do that, and even if you thoroughly believe it, and if you worked it out in theory, and because you can see exactly, no, it's not that, and you understand it's theoretically completely, still those tonal surges uh, may still be occurring. Uh, yeah. Because we're not trying to wipe out um, particular ways of language or description, but really rewire Way we way things are experienced. Yeah. So thinking it's not mine doesn't make make us feel it's not mine. You know, thinking that I am is just the view doesn't make us release it. Yeah. And in fact, we can end up if we just take this teaching conceptually, adding another lot of views and a lot of another lot of conceits and not another lot of desires on top of the existing model. Mm-hmm. So while I want to try to be an I am that doesn't have this I am or, uh, or trying to get rid of myself image. So we're still you know, in, that, in those efforts st- 
still going out to this charged tonality of, of, of our sensitivity highly sensitive but now trying to stop being sensitive or rig, you know fiddle with the sensitivity or deny it's occurring or something like that but we're still not actually able to let it subside you know, or recognize this is just a particular message now and if you it can subside into a quiet place <coughs> so this is you know the Buddha saying even right views even when your view is correct you shouldn't you should also let it subside there's no clinging to right views uh, because of even if intellectually and conceptually it's true if you cling to it you're drawn out to that level of experience where you take stands on things and you get irritable and you get competitive and you get and so forth and you, you, your system um, loses contact with the quiet empty space knowing knowing space which is when the consciousness is just touchable but not holding anything I do not see says the Buddha any single view that would not cause sorrow, pain, lamentation grief and despair I do not see any view that will not cause sorrow, lamentation pain, grief and despair sums it up pretty um, uncompromising doesn't it Know the parable of the raft to be able to not carry a view. But of course, you know, if we take that as a view, you shouldn't have any views, then that still keeps us out at that particular level, doesn't it? So anything which got an I should or I shouldn't to it just feel what that does to the system so I should be more patient what does that feel like? regret concern about the future concern about my self image thinking I'm not really a very patient person stuck out there aren't I? they're kind of worried slightly regretful am I going to blow it again because I'm an impatient person um, state where I become where the system becomes extremely attuned on that level but it doesn't it's not receptive so even though I should be more patient I should be more patient is a different experience than being patient <laughs> you know, isn't it? You know, being patient is very much here and now staying with opening to not rushing with what's going on I should be patient is adding a particular evocative charge to the system that that clogs it up I should be mindful I should be patient and mindful and energetic and calm and cheerful bright and serene wise, profound, intelligent on the spot, on the ball uh, but not, not agitated. 
and not thinking like what I'm doing now. <laughs> so, you know, you can add all these lists of virtues, wonderful, true things, until you become so totally saturated that, you know, you fall over your feet. You know, talking about particular qualities of how you transfer from fourth jhana into the sphere of of nothingness, and then you find out you just put your foot on a jam tart in the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> you put your robe on inside out or something like that. You know. <laughs> So it, it takes us to a level where we're not really present, immediate, the touchability is not open and extended, it, it's, it's preoccupied. Now it takes, of course, quite a bit of training and faith, trust, it's part of that, to be able to live like an open hand, not like a dead hand, and not like a reaching hand, just like an open like sensation in your palm, it's not holding anything. Just contemplate that sensation. It's what it feels like instead of like your palm open. So of course, there's a you know, views self and me is a powerful system, and also apart from the what we said the karmic thing, which is it's, it's charging up, it's active. It also has a vipaka result. So most of us. All of us, I'm sure, have a residual impression, amount of I, a vague feeling about what I am. You know, from having heard it and said it and thought it and got stuck in particular places over many, many years. You know, the system is not, it's kind of let go in some place and it's still stuck in certain places. You know, we may have a feeling that uh, some vague sense of, well, not really good enough, or I get that when I'm in a group of people, I feel I'm not really good enough. I'm all right when I'm on my own. Yeah. So you can notice how that, that total <coughs> thing happens. I'm all right with, or with, or with people of the same sex, in particular things, you know, senses of what I am are there, and of different sex, other senses of what I am come in. Yeah. If I'm a monk in a monastery, particular impressions of how I how I sense myself. You know, if I'm a monk, a Buddhist monk in a church, Christian church, or out on the street, or in a, uh, you know, different senses may come up. I may hold the same conceptual experience, and yet tonally it feels slightly different. <coughs> so we we're recognizing that, and. Also, the, how you know, particular, um, not just immediate experiences, but, but remembered or half-remembered or, or not, we say, places where we haven't actually discharged. Uh, you know, we've risen up. Something's risen up out of fear, or out of aversion, or out of grief, or out of anger, or something like that, or desire. It's risen up. It's never really properly retracted. Yeah. So... You know, somehow your mind is still out there. Still bits of you, of your, your sensitivity or effectively are still stuck out there. And so we might say we all have sensitive areas. You know? 
so you know if you've been calling you big ears for the last 40 years or so you might get sensitive people start talking about ears yeah or physical things or or whatever where we still you know haven't really relaxed into just the knowing of that so for most of this example we get caught like praise and blame they're very powerful impressions for us they are some of our basic things we uh, in our triggering systems they're getting you know we're getting praised or blamed um, so other people's um, imp- you know impressions of us can really pull us out now just like the, the finger can when I'm saying the finger can be water on it uh, and the water could be on the finger it could be on the wood and in sense of touch you can distinguish you know when the, you have a dry finger wet finger wet wood, dry wood, you need to distinguish. So if you're really sensitive, you can feel when somebody's, you know, seems to be blaming, you think, well, how much of this is actually me and how much of it is them being angry or upset? How much of it is mine? How much of it is, is hers or his? You know? But of course, we don't want to sensitize to that. We want to kind of pull out of it. You know? So very often that, that we're not really we get we get left stranded in this stuff through not wanting to perhaps not being able to to discern and own up well you know my finger was a little bit wet <laughs> it wasn't as wet as you as you as your wet, you know you were a bit wet too we were both a bit wet <laughs> And you know, fifty fifties or forty sixty or whatever it is. And so often it's a mixture, isn't it? You know, it's not that snow white and, and jet black. Most people are jet gradations of grey. And so being able to, yeah, a bit of it that's mine, but you know, so when we really develop that sensitivity, we can we can find that. Say, oh, it's that much okay and now I know that whereas if we don't develop sensitivity it's either all me yeah because we get stuck on that level or it's not me it's your fault so your sense of me either takes it all in or rejects it all it doesn't you know because the me is is a is this um, stuck uh, clumsy approximation And then there'll be defence or guilt, which is stuck. Stuck guilt. I am useless. Failed. You know, or or you know, defence. People around here are just nasty, complaining, hostile, so and so's. I'm fine. (laughs) 
So we get stuck at that. Then you're feeling the tonality of that. Ooh, you know, it's really pretty. Both of those are pretty unpleasant places, actually. They're they're, they're held places, and there's energy holding them there. So even if you feel completely flattened and depressed, actually that is not what we call a, a truly subsided state. That's still that's a held, contracted state, but it's not completely subsided into because when things subside fully, they subside into this empty, open quietness, not a kind of contracted gloom. <laughs> this means actually one has not been able to really affect or allow that feeling or that impression to release and what I'm saying is that one of the big locks on this is mine, me, myself so of course in the the simple, you know, in the directness of the Buddha teaching, he's saying, "Know the effect as the effect, and put, you know, skip this me, mind, myself bit. Just know this is the contracted mind. This is the expanded mind. This is the mind affected by anger. This is the mind affected with joy, or so forth. Just know it like that, and then we've got some chance of taking, you know, unlocking from those positions and letting that effect." rise up and then you know when it's been what it needed to be done what it needed to do subside and come back into that quiet emptiness and in fact the more we're able to refer to that um, that that quiet core quality then we're also less touchy you know because we're in contact with something that's that's really Rather, rather interesting and rather balanced, and very nice place to be, and comfortable and stable, and doesn't require, you know, defence. You know, same way. So we're not really being pulled out so much because we're, we're we're kind of gathered here. We're not out there looking for things or fending things off. Now, when you get so, this <coughs> is your basic stratagem. But of course, we always. <coughs> In particular, locking places, view, uh, uh, attachment, desire or desire against, aversion, uh, mine, uh, or, or myself, some overall image. Um, be able to, to be able to locate these uh, desire, uh, view, what view feels like, a kind of a standing place, a slightly rigidified emotional state, neither, you know, emotional state that's kept held, you know, it's got a lot of power in it, but it's held steady, or it's held in a sort of static state, and, and, and conceit, you know, <coughs> what, these, what these feel like. The, the, the defended, the positioning quality of conceit. And conceit isn't necessarily always a, you know, a positive thing. Not always how great I am, but it, uh, so it can be negative. How useless I am. Myself is. So there are different kinds of conceits: positive, uh, or even I am the same as you is a conceit. You're still imagining. Um, 
you know, there's some kind of permanent I amness that that's sticking around that I can look at and hold. Um, so when we try to contemplate how we suffer, where suffering occurs, which is different from just pain, pain can be an immediate thing that the system feels pain, it's hurt, it feels pain, it, uh, you know, that pain arises into the system, system feels it, senses it, and then the pain moves, you know, it moves away. You know, pain is an impermanent experience. But then the suffering and sorrow is when, say, pain comes and this system holds, either you know, trying to against it, you know, particularly with emotional pain. So because it's held, it doesn't fully subside. It's held as a kind of half memory of being hurt. Yeah. So the difference between pain and being hurt is being hurt is like a holding to that. There's somebody now here who is being hurt. I am a hurt my am my wounded self. My self image is hurt, whatever. So it gets stuck there. So when we often when we contemplate um, our, the, the suffering and then being able to find these places where we are um, sensitive, threatened, uh, depressed and so on we're coming to places where the, a certain hurtness a certain painfulness has not been fully allowed to do what it has to do you know, what the system has to feel it and discharge it Maybe the pain was too difficult to, to, to feel. We, we just didn't want to feel it, or we didn't feel capable of feeling it. We felt too um, you know, lack of confidence or inability to receive it, being overwhelmed with pain, or particularly um, you know, emotional pain, being rejected, being dumped, being blamed, being rejected, dumped, and blamed. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I can't bear that. It's just over, so overwhelming. So we, you know, so that even though in a kind of way we defend ourselves from that experience, still, what happens is we're left with a a half impression of that. Perhaps not that intense, but it's, it becomes chronic, locked and chronic, rather than an immediate but temporary, you know, rather than acute and temporary. So, you know, we can be left with this stuff. <coughs> so, in terms of present on go- meditating with the present arising, just trying to uh, find this resource of the of that central core knowing that the touchability. Because actually it can, the system can, when it's properly attuned, can receive and can discharge. You know, we can go through death and grief and things that you know, very powerful experiences and really feel them and be really, you know, washed over with them. And if the system is is healthy and attuned, you know, we come back again. And we can come back again. Like you know, you can knock, get knocked out, knocked over by a car, completely unconscious. 
and then come to and you know a few days in hospital whatever and you're back again physically the system can come back to that so trying to get the, the, the our emotional and our mental stuff to, to operate in the same way and it means certainly a lot of loosening up around mind, me, myself in the present as something I want to encourage in the present moment I don't want to really, you know, that, that, that experience is going to happen naturally. I don't want, to, don't want to actually encourage it and make even more of it. You know, an attempt to make it more solid, more real than it already is. I'm prepared to accept it as a, as a, as a, a generated response to experiences, but I don't want to become it, you know, make it into concrete that I have to carry around with me. So this, this Dhamma is based on, on letting go of this opening up beyond one's normal the boundaries of me and mine and myself in terms of what we experience mm. you're learning to let give up things that I want you know, the hankering um, you're wanting you know, physical things wanting sensual things wanting psychological boosts mm. learning to be able to let go if they come, fine. But if they don't come, you know. So, letting go in, in terms of the present arising. And letting, letting go in terms of what one's inherited, which is more tricky. And in fact, it affects the present arising. If I'm carrying around a whole sense of, of um, basic inadequacy and need, then actually that's going to get projected out onto onto my present situation and want all kinds of things to fill up these holes need a lot of attention, a lot of boosting, a lot of this, that and the other so, you know, our aim is also to, to acknowledge you know, the, the sensitive areas the hurt places, the frustrated places, the despondent places and in this process we have to go back to almost the painfulness of that of those places how those places got there and when we touch them and touch them in our touchability the pain of those places wakes up and this of course is the um, why it takes a long time and it takes the priming developing resolve developing faith developing mindfulness to be able to, to purify to go back to those places of why I'm so defensive, why I'm so you know touchy on this, why I feel um, awkward around this, yeah. and we come back to the the, the the grief or the fear or the anger, you know, or the hurtness in that. Then be able to feel the feeling in the feeling, recognize the system can sort itself out letting that, that painfulness flush through the system and then until it subsides back into the, to the knowing or oh, it's quite a quiet space you feel clean open relieved
So this is a, a, a training, it's not, certainly not just a set of ideas, it takes quite a lot of training to, to make it possible. Mm. Working from our uh, sense of touchability and then really in that, when things seem bad, is it them, is it the things that are bad or, am I, or is it something in me? You know? Are things impossible or am I demanding? Or is it a bit of both? The thing's a bit tough and I'm a little bit, um, you know, demanding. Or things are not really that tough and I'm very demanding. Or I'm not very demanding and things are absolutely tough. It's like developing that, what the, the, the wet or the dry finger can detect. Which is how much of this is me? How much of it really is external? How much of this is really internal? How much of this is a, just a reasonable request? How much of it is me being <laughs> demanding because of my, you know, stuff, my neediness, my hungriness, my wanting to be a bit more, have a different set of feelings? You know? How much of this is kind of wrong and you know, unjust or so forth? How much of it is, well, it's not very nice, but it's, you know, all right and this bit of me is just that's sensitive for me you know, it reminds me of certain things so you know and if, if we can find that line if we can really get the clarity around that we know you know how much am I making it up and how much am I not making it up and there's no guilt in that because if one is, if these things are being concocted, if one is, you know, it's because of pain. And it just, we want to know that so we know where to, what, what to touch. Mm. Openness, yeah. sense of compassion with that. Yeah, open hand is like a compassionate hand. The yeah. sense of the, the open hand is, I'll receive that. Yeah. I'm not going to kind of withdraw from that. I'm not going to poke it. I'll receive that. So that the open quality is also a compassionate quality. It's not just empty space. It's also empathetic receptivity. So, you know, bringing this sense into how we practice rather than the view I shouldn't feel this because of me it's because of you because of life you know where it just gets stuck into oh, this is pain Ooh. <laughs> you know, and then how do you, how do you hold pain you know, in the sense of really gather gather around that and, and, and uh, approach it from that quality of, of 
untouchable. And then there's something there that the knowing is always quiet and boundless. So we have a place where we can receive the, the troublesome and the painful and let it charge, discharge and flush out our systems. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>